We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 254 or so, I'm told. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. Some good topics to get to here for the pod this week. NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs coming into focus. The Warriors will represent the West for the sixth time in the last eight seasons. Dynasty with a capital D. Hey, how are you? And on the NHL side, you got the face of the league carrying his team to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Plenty to get to on both accounts. We're going to talk a little golf, a little bears as well. But first and foremost, as we always do, wellness check. Matt Rooney, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. I as awesome as it was to see McDavid and the Battle of Alberta last night, the way he did, like awesome goal, perfectly picked a corner in overtime, all that. I mm-hmm. really wish that series would have gone on farther because that that was it, and it was five games, but they were all so entertaining. And yeah. the Oilers ended up coming out on top on obviously four of them, but man, that series was so much fun. It didn't even really, it, it felt like a playoff series, but with how high scoring it was, it also kind of didn't, but at this, I don't know, they were just awesome games. I'm sad that one's over, but uh, don't smile because it's, uh, don't cry because it's yeah, over, yeah. smile because it happened, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, there it the, is. The, the, the Chinese cookie uh, fortune? I think you nailed it. Nailed um, it. No, it was a great series, but like, I didn't care game number. I just needed that outcome. I needed, we talked about it. I, I don't want a Mike Trout situation. I needed the best player in the league to go deeper than he ever has. And that's what we're getting. Like Calgary was great. They scored a ton of goals. They were that sexy pre-playoff pick to win it. Again, didn't mm-hmm. watch a lot of regular season hockey. So it was sort of a crash course on getting to know these teams throughout the first round or two of the playoffs. And um, Calgary, while exciting on ice, just doesn't have a whole lot of personality, I guess would be the way to put it. And oftentimes that personality is what hooks the casual fan like myself. And I think that's what, that's what hockey needs is the casual fan to really dial in come playoff time. Um, Because the product is so good because the product is so interesting. And this series was a perfect example of that. I mean, you had nine, six in the, in game one, you had five, three in game two. To, you had a sleeper in game three, four to one, five to three um, in game five, and then in game six, five to four. So it was nine goals a game almost. It was unbelievable throughout the series. Um, and the Oilers will move on now to play in the Western Conference Finals. But um, Matt, I, I think it, I, it, it sort of begs the question here with McDavid uh, sucking up the oxygen and Leon Dreisaitl, um really, you know, positioning themselves as that one-two punch for mm-hmm. this team. Like, how deep can that take you in the sport of hockey? Just a one-two. Like, as, uh, you know, throughout the Hawks' runs, it was always like the question mark always came, like, who was going to be the third-line center? Uh, who was going to be the second D pairing? Like, it was about depth, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, Edmonton has that. I might not be as acquainted with that as um, you may be. So, like, I guess I'm asking you, like, how primed, how positioned are they to make a run at the whole thing? Edmonton has a pretty deep forward group, which, I mean, they they can win you high scoring games, but I think as we saw in this series, like they kind of almost have to win those five, like they're going to be, there was one game that they, you know, they held them to four to one. 
the other games they're winning kind of have to be those four, three, five, four, six, five type games. I, I know Los Angeles, uh, they were able to keep off the board a little bit, but the Kings aren't really a, at all a, a high powered, like high scoring team. So mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the biggest defensive challenge. If they get into a series with Colorado, I, I, <laughs> I just, I'm worse, honestly, or St. Louis. I just, I don't see them. I see them having, I, I won't say I don't see them because Connor McDavid, is the best player in hockey. He's the best player in the world. He's capable of, I won't doubt him ever going into a series, but I don't see them defensively as much as I love Duncan Keith. Like I don't see them defensively, especially with Mike Smith and net who is so volatile and is capable of laying an egg or multiple a series. I just, I don't really, I see them having a very tough time getting by a Colorado or a St. Louis in the next round because the way those two teams play, like, I, I think Colorado, I don't think they're going to outscore Colorado. That's that's it. Because yeah. like nobody really can outscore Colorado when they want to. And if they get into a series with St. Louis, I don't really like, you're not going to be able to beat, you know, put up five on St. Louis every night. Colorado hasn't even been able to do it. Um, and I don't see that team who's filled with Stanley cup, you know, it's a, a ton of Stanley cup experience, you know, letting themselves get into a, you know, 10 goal a game, nine goal a game series with, with, with a team like Edmonton. They're fun. I'm never going to doubt Connor McDavid. I hope he keeps playing really well, but there's still a piece or two away. In my opinion, I'll never doubt Connor McDavid because they do have the best player on the ice. And that is a guy that's capable of dragging a team to a series. It's going to be very tough. For our non hockey watching, listening bunch here, like this series uh, between the Oilers and Calgary, the battle for Alberta was very much. Do you remember that? I think it was a Sunday night football game and it was Mahomes versus Goff. Yep. Uh, when it Monday was like, night, that was Monday night football. It was Monday. Okay. Yep. So remember what was the, the final there was like 50, 57, 55 yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. That was the whole series. And yeah. that's fun. That's fun for a night. That's fun for a series when you're sort of looking in the mirror against the team. But like when you are staring down a team like Colorado, that like you said, nobody really can score with, um, I think that might be uh, that might be some fool's gold there because you're not going to be able to win games nine eight against Colorado. You, you're just not. Um, Speaking of the Avs, I yeah. just I'm very excited and intrigued by this game tonight because mm-hmm. you you and I were uh, you were tweeting about it through the the game four no game five excuse me where yeah. St Louis came back one in overtime but Mc, uh, McKinnon had all those heroics and yep. that goal was unbelievable. Um, I'm intrigued to see what kind of what they look like tonight because that's a team that the last two years has fallen short in the playoffs and years that they were kind of expected to be the cruise to the Stanley cup finals kind of team out West. And they have a three, one lead. You're at home. Your best player goes off, scores a hat trick, scores a highlight real goal. And the blues come back and tie it with under a minute and win an overtime. Like I'm interested to see if that team's at all a little bit rattled or what. Like This is going to be a very interesting test for them come out in game six against the St. Louis team that I doubted a little bit, but like they have so much Stanley Cup experience and they're a talented team and they can kind of play multiple ways. That they're going to be very hard to get that fourth win again. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what kind of Colorado team shows up tonight, if it's full speed ahead or if it's a little bit here we go again-ish. Matt, you know exactly what you're talking about because I did a – uh, Post game wrap up with Alan May, who uh, he's based out of, um, excuse me, Washington. He's based out of DC. Does a lot of coverage uh, with the Caps and does um, was big with NBC Sports when NBC Sports was mm-hmm. leaning into their hockey yeah. coverage or, or had the rights for hockey coverage. But he's ex player knows what he's talking about, and that was his biggest point here. Was like 
it, it's hard. It's hard to kill the undead. And once you win a Stanley cup and you have that DNA on your roster, you are the undead. Like there, it, the, that knockout punch is the hardest thing. And then you put that on top of the fact that Colorado is a team that hasn't showed the ability to throw that knockout punch, despite yeah. all the talent on the roster. And, and my point of it too, we were just sitting in the green room talking was sometimes it boils down to how the series sets up. So three, one Colorado's got a chance to close it out on their home ice. Now it's, or excuse me. Yeah. Now it's three, two heading back to St. Louis. So there's, there's obviously going to be a game seven intensity throughout the remainder mm-hmm. of this series, but St. Louis now has an inkling of belief going home to their building to try and tie it up. Like they are completely playing stress-free hockey right now. Maybe there's a little, maybe there's a little stress tonight, but it's like, we're kind of playing with house money here. We're bringing it back to our building. All we're trying to do is get game seven right now. We're not even thinking about that. We're not thinking about closing out the series. The closeout pressure is on Colorado, and now it's in an opposing barn, a building that understands, not just the players understanding playoff intensity, but a building that mm. understands playoff and Stanley Cup type intensity. It's going to be very exciting tonight. Um, Colorado is obviously spectacular as we talk out of both sides of our mouths here. But again, you get a hat trick performance, a four point performance from one of the greatest goal scorers in the game. And Nathan McKinnon, not to, not to mention what was supposed to be the GWG was, yeah. the, best highlight reel, was the best highlight real goal. Maybe we've seen all season. I, I don't know. Like you've obviously up, taken it's, it up there. There, it's one of them. It's like, up there. That, that, that feels like a highlight we're going to see for years to come the way he just sashayed into the zone. If I may steal one there from, uh, from the great doc, doc. Emrick, but like, undresses the entire defense, goes coast to coast, and then roofs one. Like, just spectacular stuff out of McKinnon. But the way I posed it in the highlight was, if you're an Avalanche fan, you got to see that. You got to throw your hat on the ice for the hat trick. And then you go home not only without a hat, but with a loss. Like, that's a really sad moment. Like, (laughs) I'm hatless and my team lost. Like, what the hell just happened? But they were 54 seconds away from moving on. And St. Louis had that gritty, grinded out, ugly goal right at the doorstep to force overtime. And then... You get to overtime and anything can happen. You get pucks on net, and uh, St. Louis is is alive and well right now. So that's a, that's a very interesting series for anyone looking to dial into something here on Friday night. And, and the Avs, if you look at their roster, as awesome and awesomely talented as they are, that I, I I think they're going to win tonight. I am giving out uh, later. I've gave out in my blog this morning. Like I have their money line minus one seventy. I'm taking their te- their team total over uh, three and a half minus one hundred eight. But like just picking out some flaws here. Like the, when the Hawks won their Stanley cups, like they went out in the first year, they, they hadn't won yet. They went out and got uh Marion host, obviously had one, but they went out and got like a guy like a John Madden, who was a, you know, 15 year vet of the league had won a couple of cups. Like you see a lot of these teams that aren't ready to quite win yet, go out or aren't, are ready to win, go out and get that cup experience. Uh-huh. The Avs don't really have that guy on their roster. There's not the one guy that's like, you know, the guy in the locker room that that is maybe not a fully, you know, elite contributor anymore, but, you know, good player contributes, has won a cup. I mean, they do have – Nazem Kadri's never won that. And like, he, he has been a guy who's been suspended the last couple of years, um, and that's in the series they've been eliminated. He's not suspended <laughs> this time around, even though he did, he did seem like he might yeah. have tried to a couple games ago. Uh-huh. He's in the lineup, which I think helps. But, like, the Blues have all the cup experience in the world, and the Avs don't really have that guy. So – how they come out tonight, how they react to stuff is all very interesting to, to kind of watch and see. I was sort of hoping that Colorado would end St. Louis 
last game because, you know, as we felt like that game, McKinnon goal was it. It really it did. did. It did, but not just for that reason, but for like for the justification of the win, I wanted it as well because like at my process when we're watching games, basketball, hockey, whatever it may be, if I know I'm doing a, a post uh, a post game wrap up, a post game analysis with one of yeah. our analysts. I'm jotting down questions that are coming to my mind on both results. And one of those lists gets thrown out. And one of those lists comes to the desk with me and we have a conversation. And on the list that got thrown out with the Colorado win was, would this series be any different if Jordan Bennington had not gotten hurt? And it's revisionist mm-hmm. and you're never going to get a concrete answer to it, but it's something fun to sort of examine and look at and be critical of. And it, you, it can take you back to that storyline. That storyline you could have thrown out, the easy answer to that would be no if they win the series 4-1. Now if they win it 4-2 or if they win it in 7, then you actually have to have that conversation of like, you know, did the Blues kind of – are the Blues on the wrong side of history here? Are the Blues on the wrong side of – what, what, what might've been some dirty hockey. Like, I, like it just, it opens up the door to that question again. How big, how big of a factor do you think that is in this series? I definitely think it was a factor in this series. I, I still, th- I, I ultimately think it's why Colorado is going to end up, not the only reason why, but a big reason why Colorado is going to end up winning the series. Bennington in game one was magnificent. And they lost in overtime. He's, but he stopped like 54 pucks game two. He absolutely shot like with 34 saves, I think at 35 shots. And in game three, he, he was playing well and Huso kind of came in and, and gave it up for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and once it, the air was also kind of taken out of that building, it's tough losing basically the guy that is the reason you are where you are. Yeah. Um, Talk about experience. I, I do think it would have been a big difference. I, I absolutely think that this, the result might be the same, I guess, but like I'm not sure games three and four, five to two and six to three. I think we might be going kind of back and forth a little more. I still think the Avalanche probably find a way to come out of the series, but I do think the series has a little bit of a different look to it, if that makes sense. Also, I know I did say earlier that like Kadri kind of did his best to try and get suspended with that. Mm -hmm. That was more because of reputation. If that wasn't Nazem Kadri making that play, I've watched it a couple times. We're not making a big deal about it. No, he was charging the net. He tries to stick out. He tries to, uh, he actually tries to avoid Bennington and tries to get a stick on the puck to poke in a goal and the defenseman I can't remember who it is kind of like the collision guides it with the defenseman guides him yeah. back into Bennington it wasn't him taking a run at Bennington if that's not if it's not the playoffs or if it's not Nazem Kadri that's not a discussion I think anyone's even having I think the league handled it absolutely correctly uh, Matt I think the un- one of the unfortunate um, side effects of the Blackhawks being so bad at hockey is that you almost don't remember who you hate. Um, I, I hate the Blues. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't we? Don't we hate the Blues? Like we hate the Blues. In the I final still don't years, like them. In the final years of the Blackhawks' relevancy of of this most recent run, like that was public enemy was number team, one. Yeah. You know, we went from Detroit to Vancouver to we kind of landed on St. Louis at the tail end of that run of being um, enemy number one. And uh, let's keep it that way, right? So let's go yeah. Abs, and let's also talk about. The other remaining series uh, in the East, we got your New Rangers, York, New York, my Rangers, my people forget my Rangers uh, and Carolina. Um, Carolina wins three one back at home again. I mean, it's just a it's just a tale of home ice here, especially with Carolina. Carolina has been two completely different teams home and away. Um, I don't know whether they're my Rangers or not. Like I want 
uh, give me original six sweaters on the biggest stage. Uh, I, I also pull for Artemi. Um, I, I'm, I've grown to become a Zabenejad fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Igor, is, Igor is probably the most fun goalie to watch, if that makes any sense remaining. Um, no, I, I've really bought in because I'm around so many New York fans. Yeah, and it's I like easy to do them. that. And when they lose, everybody's sad at work, and that's no fun either. So um, I like uh, I like being around a positive workforce. Uh, so that's why I pull for New York more than anything. But uh, how do you think that that series um, comes to a head? Like obviously, it's back at MSG um, on Saturday for Game Six with Carolina out in front, three to two. Do we go back to Carolina and does home ice stand? Or when you get to that game seven scenario in Carolina, is it really anybody's game? I kind of think uh, I'm so torn on where to go on this game six because like Carolina is the better team. They've kind of been the better team all season. They're just, we're seeing a different team on the road. And mm-hmm. I don't really like in, in the playoffs, we've seen a different team on the road. And I don't know what's wrong. I just, I keep being the guy that's saying like, this is the time they snap out of it. This is the time they play better, but they just keep not doing that. So I honestly, game six, I don't really know what happens, but if game seven, if the Rangers do win game six and force that game seven, Carolina has it in, against Boston. Carolina was pretty dominant at home. All those games, like those games were similar to the, heat Celtics series where like, we're not seeing a whole lot of close games. We're seeing it's, it's yeah. close series, but we're seeing a whole lot of blowouts. That's kind of what that series was. Carolina has not really blown out the Rangers at home. They've won a couple, they won a, a one goal game and a couple close games. Like anything can happen in that game series. I would, I think in my head, I think I'm giving the Rangers a more, a better chance in game seven at Carolina than I would have Boston going into that Boston game seven. I kind of thought Carolina really needs to lay an egg to lose this one. Like, I, I give the Rangers, I think, a better chance. I'm right there with you because just looking at game results, they're not scoring home or away. Um, they've scored in the two games away at MSG. They scored a goal a game. Um, yeah. And one was a cookie that Igor let through in game three, I think that was, or four. I'm not sure. But it was just like a like – a, little backhand that like squeaked mm. through under his glove. Like they've essentially scored one real goal away from home. But then you look at their home goals per game and it was two in game one, a two in game two and three there in game five. So it's not like they've been lighting it up and um, that home ice advantage isn't a huge tilt. So if they do get it to a game seven here, I do like New York's chances as well. Um, but within that series, you talk about the hottest goaltender or the best goaltender remaining. I do think it's Igor Shosturkin. I think that he is the, I think that he is the best goalie remaining. And that's another reason that I give the Rangers a really good chance. He's the best goalie remaining. But if you're talking about the hottest, like Auntie Ranta's right up there with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ranta's yeah. not, uh, he's not the best goalie left. Uh, he's, he's a guy that took over because Frederick Anderson was injured, but like, look at him. He's been, Absolutely, like, even the road Look series. At you. The, the road games this like this series. He's been really pretty good. Like three goals and four goals. The four goal game wasn't his best effort, but also the team in front of him was not playing all that well. Like his home games, he's been fantastic. I think it's three goals allowed in three games. Like this has been the. It seems like the first playoff series we've gotten all playoffs of the like it's been a goalie battle and i mm-hmm. those are I, I i'm on the alternate under i think tomorrow night it is like under alternate under five at plus 126 like i 
Love I it. think both of these goalies are going to play really well because they've done so all series. Like I, it's been a really fun goalie duel, and those make sometimes for the most entertaining series. Uh, if you have not been dialed into these series, they're just dripping with intensity come, yeah. coming down the stretch, the final 10 minutes of those games, just the desperation and the momentum shifts and the empty net goals. It's It's been great theater once again. And you sort of, I don't know, at least from where I'm sitting, I always look at uh, the two corresponding or the two parallel playoffs um, mm-hmm. through the lens of one another. And it's just been a better product. It's been a better product than the NBA basketball here in the conference finals round. Um, Lopsided on one side, Mm -hmm. predictable on the other. But Matt, let's change hats here. Uh, You take us through the NBA series. Ask me a couple questions because um, I'm ready to crown a champ at this point, to be honest with you. I I think I am with you. And you've made a good point. Like we've covered now four or five, how how many years are we doing this? So five of these like playoffs, Side by sides. Mm-hmm. This is probably the first time we've ever let off a podcast talking twenty minutes With about the, the hockey, NHL, yeah. not talking about the NBA. <laughs> it's been um, uh, man, I, I think I'm with you on who I'm crowning a champion. But let's talk about tonight with Miami and Boston. Like I mentioned, it with the being like the anti, uh, or I mentioned whatever. That series hasn't been very good. It's just mm-hmm. it, it, the series is good. The games have not been. It seems like Miami is just. I think I said this last podcast and they proved me wrong and then won a, won a game pretty big, but I don't see how they win this series. They just can't score. Like there's yeah. no, I don't know how they, like sometimes you see their offense, you see how they're playing, see the point totals they're putting up. It's like, how is this team in the Eastern conference finals? They scored a combined 162 points in the last two games. So we were talking about it coming into the series, how Miami really has, they can beat you two ways, which makes them really dangerous. They can either everybody scores 18 points or Jimmy scores 45 yeah. and you get, you get your complimentary scoring. And that makes the team dangerous because that's the option you have when you have a star player. And for as great as Jimmy's been and for as experienced as he is, people don't look at him as one of those top tier scorers, star players. And he was looking like that. He had mm-hmm. three 40 point performances, six 30 point performances out of like 11 games, th- these playoffs and these last two games, he's just, I think they're, I think that, Everybody in this series on both sides of it is very banged up to liken it to hockey. This is going to be one of those series that when it's all said and done, it's going to just be the litany of uh, so-and-so is torn MCL. So as an elbow, lower body, upper body, Jimmy's dealing with quote unquote knee inflammation. Kyle Lowry's playing through a hamstring. Jason Tatum's playing through a shoulder. Marcus smarts playing through an ankle. Um, I'm missing a few here. Who else? Uh, but, 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 but Robert Williams is playing through. I forget what his injury is, but he was questionable last game. Al Horford's old probably is always playing through something. Same thing with P.J. Tucker. He's 100 years old. Uh, Jimmy's got the knee. Bam's been healthy, and Bam's been really good. Um, that's that's about it. Max Struess is hot hand, friend of the pod, um, does a lot of great things um, with with the Andrew Wisher Foundation, Wish Forever. He's got a camp. Check it out. But his hand has cooled the last few games from the field. Um, yeah, it's just it's just they're looking for scoring and they don't know where to look like they even, they brought Duncan Robinson back in. And that's one place where obviously Eric Spolster knows no, more about the game. He's forgotten more about the game than yeah. you and I will ever know. But I feel like your leading three point shooter, if you're going to be three point heavy needs to be on the court. Like Duncan Robinson attempted seven and a half threes per game during the regular season. And they sat him for the first 10 games of the playoffs. Like, I don't know what's going on internally with the team. I don't know what's going on with Duncan Robinson. I don't know if, 
Struess really ate up those minutes because he was the hot hand, but Duncan comes back in last game and he's, you know, he's, he's sort of a, if I may borrow from Patrick Beverly, he's sort of a cone on the defensive end. He's a little bit of a defensive liability. So that's probably behind the decision, but um, yeah, they're looking for scoring and they can't find it anywhere. And I think it's because everybody's really banged up and Boston matches up well. And if you're going to kind of get into that three yards in a cloud of dust type series, Boston's the last team you want to be in that type of series with. So if that's the type of series Boston is playing now, is Boston capable of playing a run and gun? You need to score 120 points every night type of series with Golden State. No, and that's why I'm ready to crown yeah. Golden State. The that's where I thought you were going with it. But I, I'd say yes. I'd say no with a caveat there because they wouldn't. They're not going to try and play that game with Golden State. They're going to try and be physical. They're going to try and muck it up. They're going to run over screens. They're going to try and make sure Steph is getting up off the ground after every possession. That's the way they're going to play the series. That's the way they win the series. But I think that the tank's going to be empty coming out of this Miami series because they're essentially, if I may use this phrase again, they're looking in the mirror against Miami. Mm -hmm. Miami's trying to do some of that too and just kind of play this plotting game where a lot of guys are getting up off the ground every whistle and it's very physical. And you could play that game with the Warriors, but there's just too much scoring depth. I mean, Clay caught fire yesterday. If Clay's going to shoot that way, you're in trouble. You mm-hmm. know what you're getting out of Steph. Jordan Poole's been a revelation. Jonathan Kaminga has been this like young sort of catalyst. It's It's been so impressive to watch them in a way reinvent themselves, Golden State, because we talked about it last pod, the idea of winning after Kevin Durant and how much that probably means to Steph, Clay, and Dre, this core, to say, yeah, we did it before, we'll do it after, we did it with them. We are great. We are simply the dynasty of this decade. And they joined a pretty elite list last night, punching their ticket to the NBA Finals of teams that have gone to the Finals um, I believe the stat was six times in a single decade and there's only like, or six times in a nine year span. Yeah. And there's only four teams that have done it. The Celtics um, back in that uh, championship run, the bulls in our championship run, the warriors. And I believe the Spurs was the, uh, I might be wrong on the Spurs. I don't know what the fourth team was, but there was a fourth team. But it's like probably the Spurs or the Lakers. Don't let the, don't let the last year, right. Don't let the last two, two years fool you about this Warriors team, that it was the end of a dynasty. KD leaving, Clay getting hurt, them winning 18 games two years ago or whatever it mm-hmm. was. For them to go from that to full pedal to the floor team to beat good luck stopping us again has been so impressive to watch. It's a credit to Steph. It's a credit to clay. It's a credit to Draymond and the way they've been able to bring on this young core that's been drafted, not bought. Yeah. Like Kaminga uh, drafted pool drafted um, like all of these guys that they've put around the core to make a difference are a credit to Bob Myers, are a credit to this franchise. And, and I think that they've assembled such a team that neither Boston or Miami is going to be able to do what they need to do in a seven-game series next week. Yeah, and it seems like even though Boston, like you were saying, is going to come out of the East in all likelihood here, it might be like you took too many bumps and the, like the series here was almost a little bit too physical and they've gone through kind of a rougher path to get here that once you get to this mark with the Warriors, like it's just going to be how much is left in the tank and it's going to be hard to as much as you try to slow things down with the Warriors, they're still going to have their games where they get theirs and you're going to have to keep up. It just seems like Boston probably won't be able to do that. Jason Tatum's been spectacular all playoffs long. He's going to need to find another level if they want a chance against Golden State. I won't rule Boston out 
because I think he does have that level, but to access it for six consecutive games to go 40 plus six straight, that's essentially mm-hmm. what they're going to need in my eyes. Or um, Grant Williams is going to need to catch fire from three again or something else crazy. It's just, it's just a tough ask. And I'm sure they're not even looking at it right now because they do have a Miami team that they do need to knock out, still standing in front of them. But um, we will see if that is the case. Matt, we do have a couple other topics to touch upon here uh, throughout the pod. I know uh, we are also underway at Colonial, but we're going to put some finishing touches on the P- on the PGA. Also offer some Bears OTAs thoughts. Let's go with the PGA first, Matt. Um, Justin Thomas, our guy in the winner's circle, trailing by eight, uh, standing on 10 T, uh, trailing by seven at the beginning of the day. And mm-hmm. the field comes back to him. We talked about it prior to, um, or at least I talked about it at nauseum on air on CBS, just the lack of experience on the first page of that leaderboard heading into Sunday really ended up being the deciding factor with, um, with poor Mito Pereira falling apart on the second hole. And then Will Zalatoris' putter um, sort of being an issue. Zalatoris could have won that thing in regulation, if not for that putter. But uh, JT gets his second PGA, his second major. We know that always elevates you. Any broad strokes, uh, any, any big takeaways from, from Southern Hills? You know, I'm very – I'm happy Justin Thomas won. I wanted him to win. I thought he – we both kind of on the pod last week kind of thought he was the guy to win. But he – like, he still couldn't avoid that one blow-up round that kind of – like, it probably should have been his yeah. tournament that he more, more or less let the field kind of come back to. Uh, that, that's one that he probably should have won – not in a playoff. He doesn't go out and shoot 74 on, uh, on Saturday. I know that their weather was, was not great Saturday and nobody really played all that well, but 74 was 74 was field average. But to your point, you, you can't shoot the field. Yeah. Average like I think Justin Thomas is better than the field. So I don't, I expect, you know, I have higher expectations for him. Honestly, yeah. I, I'm happy he won, but I just left this tournament feeling a sense of kind of disappointment. Like Saturday with, I know the yeah. weather was bad, but like, Nobody made a move. Everybody played terrible. There wasn't one somebody. Bubba played okay, I guess, but nobody really gutted through around there. Um, you looked at the names on the like the top of the leaderboard. They were all kind of whatever. Um, but the reason Rory, I push back on ahead. that, the reason I push back on JT before we get to Rory and others, is the fact that he was on the wrong side of the draw Thursday, Friday. He got True. the win. That's fair point. He was he was late early, which I believe going into the weekend. 17 of the 22 guys that were under par were in the early late wave. It, it essentially, the field got cut in half by the weather on Thursday yeah. and Friday. And Justin Thomas came out of that weather. So that's a fair in point. My, too. In, in my eyes, he did win that tournament by four shots because if he was in the other wave, he would have been so far out in front of everybody. We wouldn't have been talking about anybody else. I, that's I know that's, a fair point. that's sort of, you can't play that hypothetical. You can only play the course and the weather that you're out there with. But I was so impressed by the fact that, JT, who sometimes can be can wear his emotions on his sleeves and let that affect his play, did not let that affect his play. He he didn't. He wasn't sulking. He wasn't pissed about the draw. He went out there and he won a golf tournament. And um, yeah, he did. Then he went after the seventy fourth. Who came out and shot a sixty seven on Sunday. And when the tournament was on the line, seventy second hole bombs a cut up the left side, hits one to fifteen feet, doesn't make the putt but makes a par at the last, which par at the last is pretty impressive on that mm-hmm. course. Then comes out in the three-hole aggregate playoff and didn't miss a shot. Went birdie, birdie, and if he needed a birdie on 18, probably would have made the oh, birdie. He, made he, it, yeah. he knew he had two putts for the win and just sort of nestled one up there. He was 
completely in go mode. And it was so fun to see him that way. Yeah, I agree. Matt, do you want to know how impressed I was by Justin Thomas? Yes, I do. So long story short here, um, back home on Monday for, um, a funeral, lost a loved one, not, not the point of the story, but Mm -hmm. we were sitting around and, um, me and a number of the Wesleyan guys and, um, we didn't, obviously we're sitting there in sadness. Um, and we do what we do when we know how to do it. And we all kind of looked at each other like, should we go, should we go catch a twilight? So we went and ca- caught a twilight and I obviously didn't have clubs. It was a one day trip home f- to go pay my respects. And yeah. uh, I played out of Brian Sen's bag and it's all well and good. You never want to share a putter. So I brought my mom's putter. Um, there you go. This is, this is on Monday. Nice two ball Odyssey mallet. Never been a mallet guy. I made like 90 feet of putts. I was like, okay, I'm a mallet guy. That on top of JT's win, I went and bought JT's putter. I, 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 I was, I was completely, I was completely mystified by Justin Thomas. I just went and bought his putter. Um, yeah, so that's, that, that sounds that, about right. Actually, That's how I, that's how I celebrated uh, Justin's PGA win is by uh, supporting the brand and uh, acquiring. I just, Scotty. So we're the mallet putters, that. the mallet putters every time. I, I just, I, Matt, I'm so used I'm, to the blades. I'm right there with you. I'm I right always there with feel you. like whenever I use one, I'm like bombing the ball by and it's so heavy and I can't figure it out. And I'm just I I'm made a creature a, of habit. I am not a, I am not a, I'm not, this is not a fish story. I am not exaggerating the size of the fish. I made a 25 foot birdie putt to win our scotch match on 18. And that was the moment I knew I was a mallet guy. Like, like that. Uphill, right to left with pace, center of the center of the cup. Let's let's fucking go. It, we were at um, Willowcrest, which is the the resort course there at the Hilton. There were people sitting. Oh on the back. yeah, yeah, yeah. There were people sitting. On, it's a par three finisher, so got kind of gimmicky. But hit a seven iron to twenty five feet and made the putt. And there they let go. us play. A, they let us play a six some. So it was a three on three scotch match. There was no one on the course. It was such a beautiful day. Um, and it was a. Oh, we all. Everyone screamed when it went in. People on the patio were clapping. It was a moment. So I was. I was, uh, it was, I was a moment for me. I was bewitched and I, and I bought a very expensive putter on the tail end of Justin's win and my win. So that's how we're, that's how we're celebrating. But let's talk about some of the other names. I know you're very disappointed. And as am I in Roy McElroy, um, the way I framed it was that opening round 65 on Thursday was so much fun to watch. And it was like, okay, he did it. Yeah. It's usually, it's usually a slow start. And then he turns on the jet boosters late and it's not enough, but if you look at it this way, Matt, that opening round 65, if Rory McIlroy would have played even par golf from that point on, he He's would have been playoff. in the playoff. He's in the playoff. He, five under got you into the playoff, and he just fell asleep on, on Friday and Saturday, showed that burst again on Sunday, but again, not enough. Yeah, like, look at his Sunday. Like, uh, everything about it just was, was incredibly disappointing to me. It was he got off of that hot start, but still kind of like after that was nothing. There were bogey was what uh three or four under through five. And then yeah. bogey gives it one, gives one like, right back on six and gives one back on 17. Like, I don't know. Grinded it's, between those to make all those pars, but it yeah, was just like, it, it just wasn't. Um, I'm ready to say that the only way Rory McIlroy wins another major 
is the way that Justin just won this one. Somebody's got to come back yeah. to him. He's got to have a crazy Sunday and the field's got to come back to him. I don't know that he's got a three-day fastball and then a come and get me on Sunday type performance in him anymore because yeah, like, I was not, this say, is not where he's at mentally. And so over under half game, a major for him for the rest of his career. Like I'd I can't, over, I can't, comp- I can't confidently say, say the over though. No, I would, I would probably give him one. I would give him but, the benefit of the doubt because of how old he is, how talented he is. And things like this last weekend can happen on tour where the field does come back to a guy like that. But like, he does not have the big game hunter in him anymore. Call it perspective in his life. Call it happiness. Call it whatever sort of financial freedom he's reached and mm-hmm. familial happiness that he's found inside himself. And God bless you, Rory McElroy, for that. I'm glad that he found that because he's a guy who at times in his career has been open with us about struggling with the pressures of the game and the pressures yeah. he put on himself. He's, he's rid himself of that. He is free of that. But I think you need a little of that to be a champion or at least to be a consistent champion. You mm-hmm. need to you need to have the fear of losing in you to make you great. And he doesn't have that anymore. Losing doesn't affect him that way anymore. I'm sure he was unspeakably disappointed in his play and in himself on the tail end of this week, because after that 65, you start seeing your reflection in the Wanamaker again. But it's just not the it's not the look in the eye that Justin Thomas had coming down the stretch. It's not the look in the eye that Will Zelatoris had mm-hmm. coming down the stretch. That's a big game hunter to me. If he can figure out that putter, that's a multiple time major winner because he loves that moment. He's he's finished top ten, I think, in the last six major or he's five always majors. There. He's Something always ridiculous there. like that. You keep putting yourself in that position, you're gonna win some tournaments. I, I'm agree I agree with you. He was the, I was almost kind of hoping that Zalatoris could get that putter going in this tournament. I wanted JT to win, but like I like Will, I kind of want him to get that first one. And he it played, felt like he played he great played, in the playoff. He the did. only difference, the only difference was he didn't hit a three wood to forty feet on the second playoff hole. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, there's there's not much you can do about that. Like Zalatoris didn't really didn't really lose the playoff. JT just kind of went out and won it. Yeah. Um, but it was, I don't it, like it was some parts of it were fun, but it was a little bit of a. Uh, a little bit of an el- underwhelming major, even though the end ended up being very fun. I guess maybe if that makes sense. I'd say the first, um, I'd say the first 69 holes. Nice. But that's like legit. Nice. The first 69 holes until Mito started wobbling. Yeah. Because if you remember on the drivable par four 17th, he drove one short of the green, chipped it up. Not a great chip to about 15 feet and then was like one rotation away from making that birdie putt. If he makes that birdie putt, he knows that bogey wins the tournament on 18. And I think he steps to that tee with a lot more calm, a lot more presence. And even if he puts one in the water, he knows he can still make bogey, but uh, double would have got him into the playoff if that putt rolls in on 17. Um, So I think right in that moment, the 70th hole of the tournament is when it got interesting. And then we had a great, hour of golf but like thursday was fun because of rory but then you know friday saturday was sort of a wind battered uh everybody kind of falling away from the field type situation and i agree with you it was the, the middle rounds were a little bit sleepy sunday didn't have much until the final hour but um the ends justify the means for me because i always celebrated justin thomas win yeah good for good for jt happy he got it and yes. uh now we're on to St. Andrews? No, uh, U.S. Open, the country oh, club at right. Brookline first. So I'm so, I'm so, my 
same thing with when I'm always surprised that the PGA happens in May. I'm like in my head, my it's so ingrained that the that the British is the third major that I just forget. I forget every year. No, you're okay. So your 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 port in the storm is um, U.S. Open is still a Father's Day event. So it's like right next July. There you go. There you go. That that'll keep you right. Um, but before we get there, and I'm sure we'll have pods prior to previewing it. Um, it's sort of sparked uh my memory on a man that we probably oh. should address here one yeah. uh, one one elder tiger woods uh w- wding after round three the leg seemed to be too much and um i think it was just very impressive once again that he made the cut i mean if you look at the list of names that didn't make the cut at one or the other at the masters or at um, the pga some <laughs> huge names on that list and tiger made both cuts um it just goes to show you I think what he taught me this last week was how high his floor is. His floor is so high when he plays the game this way, when he sort of plays this conservative, um, put it in the right place, think your way around the golf course. His floor is so damn high still. It's so impressive. Now his ceiling might be not much higher than his floor. That, that, that just might be the case of Tiger Woods right now. But to see him go out there and grind, I respected the hell out of it. I had no problem with the WD. Um, Got to take care of the body. And frankly, I hope we don't see him at Brookline because that's going to be Southern Hills on steroids. It's going to be longer rough. It's going to be a physical toll. It's going to be just as tough, if not a tougher walk. I don't want to see him until the week before St. Andrews because he's playing that two-day event um, out there to get sort of acquainted with Lynx golf once again. I know he needs reps, but go get reps at the Memorial. Go get reps whatever's between. Go get reps somewhere else. Go get reps where it's an easier walk. I don't need to see him go up against the U.S. Open test on that leg. Yeah, I I know what you mean, but I think in his head, I think like, – I think he's going to want to do it similarly for the reason that he did the, like played the PGA, not necessarily to go out and win. Obviously when he's on the course, he wants to win, but I think he's just trying to get his leg, his body acclimated used to these tough tests. Cause he said, he's only really going to play majors here from here on out going forward. I think he wants to give himself the best chance in, in you know years to come to be at a spot where he can compete at least maybe not win, but compete. And I think by the only way to do that is to kind of keep trotting himself out there in these majors. Yeah. And I actually think this PGA was a nice step. He went out, made a cut, figured out he can kind of play. And then also knew his limit to be like, Hey, you know what? I probably should play Sunday. I yeah. shot 79. I don't need, I don't need this anymore. This is, I don't want to say like a practice run, but like, it's kind of like a practice run. And I think he learned at Augusta the way he was walking. Now I don't think he would ever withdraw at Augusta because he respects that course and that tournament too much. I don't think he'd withdraw unless it was something really, you know, just like a true injury, not just my leg really hurts. Um, I I think we're going to see him in the U S open. I think we'll probably see somewhat of a similar result where he's, you know, grinding out, opportunities to make cut and then probably Saturday, Sunday, that leg and his body just starts to let him down a little bit. But I think for him, it's just about making progress at this point, kind of making, taking steps. So one, two years from now, the body, the leg are kind of, he's not just jumping into it when his body's ready to go. His body's already kind of conditioned to it, that it's a little bit easier when he's, I don't want to say full health because that leg will probably never be full health, yeah. but like better and he knows how to do it. 
couple things off of that. Um, I agree with you. Like if the doctors have told him, Tiger, you're not going to injure yourself here. You're fully put back together. There's no chance of you mm-hmm. tearing an ACL, breaking a bone, whatever it may be. It's just going to be about pain management. Then yeah, go, yeah. go manage the pain. We know that he is one of the most mentally tough athletes we've ever seen in our lives. It's just the idea of like playing the four hardest golf tournaments a year. And that's it is really tough. If you're, if you're wanting to contend at any point, yeah. um, that's just, you're playing the four hard. Maybe, maybe you take the PGA out and you slot in a harder tournament, whether it be the players or I don't know where there's a harder setup. Um, regardless, you're playing four of the hardest golf tournaments a year. I just don't know how successful you're going to be doing that. If those are the only four golf tournaments you're playing, um, that's why I might favor rest here in this stretch before St. Andrews, but he's Tiger Woods. He knows what he's doing with his body. And uh, uh-huh. it's always, it's always just great to have him out there. Uh, shout out to the no laying up guys, a great golf podcast. If you don't listen to it, you should, if you're into the game, they're, um, granular in their approach to the game and they're always very entertaining. Um, but one of the guys on the podcast made a point. He goes, how cool would it have been if like Tiger knew on 18, Friday that he was WDing like the pain was too much. He had already made the decision in his head. Let me just finish here. And then that's going to be it for my week. If he knew that, how great would it be if he hits that putt, it comes up just short on 18 and he just scoops it. Like everybody, you saw me make the cut. Like, you know, I made the cut. I'm not playing tomorrow. And he just scooped the putt and walked off. <laughs> that would be, yeah, I'm done later guys. That would have been some real sauce. That would have been some real sauce. But uh, no, we're wishing the best for Tiger and his recovery here that we can get four rounds out of him. Uh, maybe at the U.S. Open. I don't need to see it, but uh, looking forward to St. Andrews, no doubt, because everybody is obviously squarely focused on that 150th Open at the home of golf uh, with Tiger reconstructed and back. It's going to be, um, it's going to be something special. And hopefully he can be around, uh, he can be around, striking distance when it matters most. But Matt, we uh, do have to offer a couple quick Bears thoughts here before we say goodbye. I know uh, you're a busy man, but, um, you know, we're in that we're in that portion of the season, OTAs, workouts, where either the sky is falling or we're going to win the Super Bowl. And I think we're somewhere between that. And I think all fans or most fans know that we're somewhere between that. But um, I don't know. It, it becomes an echo chamber this time of the year. It's just, it's just a little annoying to me. I get that. And like, it, don't get me wrong. I love hearing, and I get my, like, I wanted to technically phrase it as a buy or sell question, but like, how do you feel about all the, like the positive Justin Fields talk coming out of OTAs? And like, don't get me wrong. I'm happy. It's that and not the other way around because we've had, you know, reporters say, ah, oh, Mitch doesn't really look good in OTAs or the offense is really struggling and what we're seeing. And like, I don't want to hear that with Justin Fields. I'm glad we're hearing all these things from, you know, guys from the Packers organization, Colts organization, like winning organization saying, you know, Justin Fields looks good. He's a leader, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's almost like, I don't, I, I want to hear it, but at the same time, like I can't let myself get too excited about it because. Yeah, but why not a, Matt? Why can't because you get too excited? No, no, I've been hurt so saying, many times. I know, I know, but I'm not saying get excited about OTAs. I'm saying get get excited about Justin Fields because the way I'm thinking about Justin Fields is what was your biggest concern with Justin last year? What made you worry that we might not have the guy? Because I don't know if I was looking at it with rose colored glasses, but I saw the most talented freaking quarterback that I've probably seen in my lifetime. Now it did not spell wins. Uh, Cutler won more games. 
Um, Mitch year two looked promising. My point is for a rookie quarterback, for that kid to have made some of the throws that he made with the talent that was surrounding him and the protection that he had or did not have in front of him. I was very impressed by year one, Justin Fields. Can it just be that? Can I just be That's excited? Fair. Can I just be excited about Justin Fields this coming year? Because yeah, I so, think because I think we have a quarterback that might be able to wear the jersey for a decade. Like that's so, that's where I'm at. So I'm that's the part that I am. I'm excited about what we saw from him last year, and that's kind of what's in the the fact that we have a new coaching yeah, staff. Screw OTAs. That's, what, it that's, means nothing. That, that's that's more what the I'm on air. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm loving what I saw last year, and like it, it's good that we're hearing this stuff. But now I just I. I I don't want to let myself, I want to just focus on what he's done on the no, field and get myself. Yeah, the I, next I'm not, if you're asking me, if you're asking me buy or sell the OTA hype, I'm selling it because it, it does not move the needle whatsoever for me. Yeah. Game reps move the needle for me. I don't care how Justin Fields looks in practice. If I'm hearing things like Justin Fields is separating himself from his teammates at practice, if I hear things like Justin Fields isn't getting along with guys in the locker room, then those are non yeah, those, are those are non-game data points that I take into account. The only thing that's going to change the way I view Justin Fields is what he does on Sundays. And I'm not talking about OTA practices on Sundays. I'm talking about game reps. I hope he looks fantastic. I hope that there can be positivity coming out of the media for this kid. I hope that all the bloggers can be drooling because of his advanced statistics at, and his, and his uh, TTR, his time to release or whatever. I hope that everybody's happy and in a great mind, positive mind state when it gets to Sunday. Because that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be positive about Justin Fields heading into week one regardless of what he looks like this summer. I, I, it just, it just does not do anything for me. Like give me game reps. And that's going to change my opinion one way or the other of Justin Fields, whether I get crazy excited about him or whether I kind of come back to earth and say, Hmm, maybe we well, are in, maybe, maybe another year worth of a data. Maybe after year three, we are looking in the mirror and saying, we need a quarterback. And that's, those are the two realities. It's either after, not this coming season, but the next one. After after year three, we'll know. Yeah. Well, we're going to know one way or the other. God, I hope he's the guy. I think he is. I think, I think he, he is. is too. I think he is too. But you only, fi- you only find out if he's the guy once you put guys around him. And yeah. uh, we're, that's a long process back after the, um, after the roster hole that was dug by the previous GM, after the culture hole that was dug by the previous head coach. But it's a new day at Hallis Hall. Let's, let's, let's embrace it as such. Thank you, thank you for that. I need, I needed that little like pump up speech. I need that. We're gonna, speech. And we're gonna we're gonna have that same talk, Matt, a uh, number of times in the coming weeks, months, and years. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably. It's a it's a, <laughs> it's a vicious cycle for us. Uh, I, I'm not gonna be. I have plenty of time to be negative about the Bears uh, come this fall. I'm trying to enjoy my summer. That's that's how I'm answering your I'm I'm adopting that. I'm adopting that philosophy as well. Uh, Well, there's plenty of time to get to it all, but for now, he is Matt Rooney. I'm Joe Musa. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 254. Matt, anything else to the people? I do. Have a good Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy your long weekend. Lovely. Lovely. Enjoy it with family, loved ones, and friends. Uh, Stay safe. We'll see you guys next week, Matt. Say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile. For every care, a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was 
awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>